The work of this church in the world is realized through the generous financial support of all who call this place home. Along with the gifts and time and talent, ours is a shared ministry. You have a role to play here. Church membership is open to all. For more information, go to uusf.org. Those of you who are tracking my sermons may have realized that this is part two, really, today of a sermon that I preached at Yom Kippur this last fall, part of this conversation about the complicated work of reconciliation. And really, I wanted to talk today about the simple act of saying I'm sorry, more so literally about what a good apology, that is to say, one that has the power to heal, looks like. I got an email this week in response just to the topic <clears throat> and description in the newsletter. It came from longtime member Mary Jane Mercaria, and she gave me permission to share it with you. Mary Jane wrote, when I was a UUSF religious education teacher of second and fourth graders, one of the religious education sessions was devoted to how to make a heartfelt apology. We discussed the elements of what were in such a sincere apology, and then we practiced it in pairs. It was an active session, which was well accepted. The students needed help to learn how to describe to the injured person what they did to cause such hurt and then apologize. I told them about empathizing with, by saying, you didn't deserve that. For example, my attack on you, my wrong assumption about what you meant when you said this, this is a great topic. Most people don't know how to make a good apology. Thank you for recognizing apologies as peace building. <laughs> I think we can just thank Mary Jane now and I'll go home. Oh, you are at home probably, <laughs> so turn off the live stream. Because <laughs> she's basically got at the gist of it. And what I love, love, love most about her email is the fact that she taught this in a religious education class for children seven to 10 years old. It makes me so proud of us because as she explains so clearly and succinctly, it is such a basic but central life skill. And it takes us all the way to the back fence, which is a baseball reference to that place where you get to mark something as a home run to the back fence with her noting that apologies are peace building. Yes. It seems so simple, an apology, sort of. But there may be, but there may be and are, better and worse apologies, which is to say more or less healing ways to make an apology. And the making of them better or worse has both intimate and global significance, depending on when and where you're doing them. Harriet Lerner, who we read from this morning, says a badly made apology can actually 
deepen rifts. So it's not so simple. We all know bad apologies. We feel them when we give them and when we receive them. They feel empty, often like we or the other person just want to get them over with, but we aren't really invested in them. A bad apology, in my experience, often turns things back on the one being apologized to and doesn't adequately see or name the hurt that was done. I'm sorry your feelings got hurt. I didn't realize you were so sensitive. <laughs> that would be one example of a pretty bad apology. What it really says is, right, well, you're such a delicate flower and I'm being nice taking any of the blame. I'm not sure what healing happens in such moments or what empathy or thought went into preparation for them. By contrast, Mary Jane's instructions to her class directed her kids much more clearly to the point. Notice what she said. Learn how to describe the injury you did to the other person so they know you see it, understand it. We all know how powerful, deeply powerful it is to be seen and understood whenever it happens. And that, as Mary Jane also rightly pointed out, requires empathy. There is no shortcut to a real apology because it requires at its heart putting our heart imaginatively, as imaginatively as we can, into someone else's reality even though you know you won't do it perfectly. Maybe even saying, for instance, I cannot imagine exactly how this must have felt for you, but for me to have been on the receiving end of this, it would have felt demeaning and more hurtful because it came from someone I loved and trusted, for example. To name all of that, which I think is hard for the reasons that Harriet Lerner pointed out in the reading this morning in part because it requires from the beginning that we admit that we are not perfect. And so maybe, maybe we have to say out loud what is always true for all of us when hurt or harm is done. To say, as Mary Jane instructed her kids, our kids, to say it out loud, you didn't deserve what I did and wish I hadn't. And here's the kicker. To do all of that without slipping in excuses or justifications or bringing up other hurts that this person did to us, all of which is one way to mitigate our accountability for the hurt, make us feel a little better about it. A true apology, Harriet Lerner says, does not include the word, but. Think about that rule. How many times have I violated it? 
How many times have we violated it? But it's so obvious once it's stated, right? I mean, saying, sometimes you make me angry, so angry that I want to say mean things, and I'm sorry for that, or that I say mean things. I mean, that's not a healing apology, right? Not really, not fully. It still holds in it evidence that the person who did the harm is not taking full responsibility for what they did and the wrong of it, right? It's still holding out this little bit of justification, perhaps, for when and why they might do it again. However, if you are like me, and I hope for your sake on this matter you're not, it's super hard to leave out that but. I mean, how often is it that you or I do something mean or thoughtless completely out of the blue? There's always a lead up, right? I mean, there's always at the very least an incredibly busy day or a bad night's sleep or ignorance. And just as often there is also present, often, previous interpersonal friction or another hurt that preceded the one just before we dealt out ours, one that we didn't name and we didn't ask for accountability and healing around. And yet, Lerner says that we have to leave all of that out in the apologizing moment. She says, we can go back later, you and I, And later, we can ask for another conversation about circumstances that aren't working for us or patterns in the relationship that need changing or even about past hurts. But in the moment of our apology, we have to leave all that unnamed and unscheduled and just do our own empathetic, humbling apologizing. Have any of you done that lately or experienced that lately, received it. I have. I have actually both offered and received this kind of apology in the last few months. And it's probably what had me thinking about this sermon topic. Because both experiences have made me aware of how hard it is and how disciplined and intentional emotionally that we have to be to do all of it, (laughs) to be present to the harm we've done, to speak it, to say how the other person does not deserve it, and how sorry we are. Speak aloud about our imperfection. (laughs) And I'll also say how much when I'm harmed, I appreciate receiving that kind of apology. How wary I am, to be honest, waiting and listening when the apology starts for the part that might not name the hurt done empathetically, that won't say that I didn't deserve it as the ground that we stand on in that moment, unambiguous and unmuddied and not try to justify the hurt or worse, blame it on me in some way to just say the good apology is hard and it is clean. And to receive the good apology is good 
and it is clean. It is like washing out a wound before you put a bandage on it. It is healing or peacemaking, as Mary Jane rightly put it. A good apology is not guaranteed peacemaking. People can always feel the rift is unbridgeable. We, we just make one to give peace the best chance we can, right? As Harriet Lerner said in her interview with Brene Brown, I believe that the words, the two words, I'm sorry, are the most important words in our language. We are all connected, we all screw up, we're all imperfect beings, and for this reason we need to give and receive apologies, and that need will be with us until our very last breath. So all of that is why I wanted to talk granularly about the subject of saying I'm sorry because it's so essential to our personal life and also our life goals, the carnage we do not want to leave behind, the healing we do want to leave behind, the love we want to make real. And... It is also not an accident that I chose this topic for this particular weekend, this Martin Luther King Jr. weekend. Because as King said on his April 3rd sermon, the day before his life was taken from him and from us, what he said about why he would choose this chapter of life again, the one he was in, where he said, and another reason that I'm happy to live in this period is that we have been forced to a point where we are going to have to grapple with the problems that men have been trying to grapple with through history. We're in that place too, aren't we? It's so clear, it's felt so deeply that way this last year in particular, and forced to deal with those problems, racism and the ravages of white supremacy culture, unexamined poverty and its human and spiritual carnage, to name only two of those problems. This will require at a national level what we must be ready and able to do and learn first at a personal level. We must know how to apologize and apologize in ways that have a chance of lead, leading to healing. And as a nation, we have to start talking about, about it. And as a community, we have to continue to practice it the ways we have also begun talking about very explicitly in this community. And here, I want to take a hat off to the creative team that put together our two white zone skits over this last year, who have thoughtfully brought us examples of the harm that has been done and is still being done, the racial harm that continues here, and clues about how to move beyond it. Because this is what we need to be doing here, here, so that we can do it nationally. I've asked Joe, by the way, to put in a link to the newest of the skits so that those of you who had not seen it can watch it and those of you who want to can re-watch it. 
This apologizing, it's such a pivotal life skill for us right now, and it's such a spiritual practice we have to get really, really proficient at to get where we want to go together. And it includes, by the way, always asking as part of this process, is there anything I can do to mend the harm I've done? And then, if at all possible, being accountable to do that work that's asked of us, which, by the way, could mean anything, right? It could mean going to a 12-step meeting when our spouse asks it of us, or reading White Fragility if the church member who we microaggressed against asks that of us, or keeping our distance and leaving the person alone that we have apologized to because they asked that of us, or returning native lands, and a host of other things. This too is a crucial piece of our accountability that is part of our apologizing also. And I think Mary Jane would agree, also part of this peace building. Finally, friends, I chose the topic for today knowing also that this weekend was the weekend before the inauguration. I had no idea how much more fraught and divided we would feel at this moment. I knew there was harm that had been done we had to pay attention to, but I had no idea how increasingly challenging it might be to bring us all to the table to do this work. Or how the stakes and importance of doing so would have risen. But here we are. In a world where last Sunday I put the staff and lay leaders on high alert about COVID-19's new mutation, asking everyone to wear their KN95 masks on Sunday and any time we were in this building in close quarters or on the steps at our rally on Wednesday morning. And last night I had to put the staff on high alert because of threats of attacks against liberal churches that are circulating around the country. I know you and I had hoped that this, this new year could start fresh and hopeful. I think we begin it recommitted to what I'll call a determined kind of hope. Because as Martin Luther King Jr. said, we must accept finite disappointment but never lose infinite hope. As he said, darkness cannot drive out darkness, only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate, only love can do that. As he said, forgiveness is not an occasional act, it is a permanent attitude. As he said, I have decided to stick with love. Hate is too great a burden to bear. And as he said, Faith is taking the first step, even when you don't see the whole staircase. So we gather to remind ourselves and one another of what it might mean to live this way. One recommitment at a time, one gathered up skill at a time, this 
gorgeous and glorious community of fools and clowns, of second graders and works in the progress, grown-ups, people of faith, asking of themselves the deepest empathy and accountability, trying to give real peace and healing a chance. One apology, one day at a time. And in this way, with grace and luck and spirit, laying the groundwork for a truly beautiful, dreamed of, hopeful, brand new day. May it be so. Amen. The work of this church in the world is realized through the generous financial support of all who call this place home. Along with the gifts and time and talent, ours is a shared ministry. You have a role to play here. Church membership is open to all. For more information, go to uusf.org.